Hey, this is Tone and Cece from the band Little Hurricane. And you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with our friends Jay Gilbert and Michael Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. The artist imposters of Spotify, they track some down. AI-powered rapper FN Meka has 9 million followers, 1 billion views on TikTok. What comes after streaming? Music festivals are back, but their COVID risks are all on you. And how about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class announcements? We've got all kinds of stuff and more. This is the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Cool intro, Jay. Yeah, Little Hurricane. You ever hear that band, Little Hurricane? Absolutely. Pretty cool, man. Yeah. Haunted Heart husband is and, the name of that song. Husband and wife team? I can't yeah. imagine playing in a band with your, with your spouse. <laughs> It'd be kind of hard. Yeah, these guys are fantastic. If you haven't listened, this is for the uh, listeners, not you. If you haven't listened to Little Hurricane, man, go, go check them out on your favorite digital service provider. Uh, Crocodile Tears, one of my favorites, and the one we just played, of course, uh, Haunted Heart. I really dig these guys. Well, aside from being a music fan and a man with giant ears, that guy, Jay Gilbert, he's the curator of the Your Morning Coffee <laughs> newsletter, which, as you know, is weekly music news for the new music business. And he's a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music, and Fox Home Entertainment. Thank Always you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. I do have big ears. Um, I appreciate that. And, and Mike, besides being a great uh, figure skater, is a longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music. And I don't tell many people about the whole figure skating <laughs> thing, so I, you know... Shy about that. Well, but thank know. you, Jay, for I mentioning know. that. Yeah, you're welcome. And we must talk about our sponsors. We have the best sponsors on the planet. The first one, Banzoogle. Sure Your morning coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all in one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in. Hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days, and use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. 
And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing, how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with the help from Owen Davis, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And yep, Bands in Town has got over 55 million live music fans that trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one one artist service platform connecting over 530,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Huge, huge, huge thanks to Banzoogle. Hypebot, Bands in Town. Super yeah. Folks, let me tell you, super cool. Well, let's jump in this first story, Jay, really, because I've I've loaded so many different uh, acts and songs into, in my case, The Orchard, and mm-hmm. various artists and stuff that I sort of, it's a long story. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I know kind of how um, it's not hard to put stuff up, in fact. And it's mm-hmm. pretty easy to, um, especially in the early days of, uh, of digital music, there are lots of kids in bedrooms that noticed that some artists they like didn't have their music up and they did them a favor and they put it up for them. What could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong with that? And so this article on Slate is talking about the imposters uh, that are still up there. And of course, you know, uh, to be fair, um, you know, there's 65,000 tracks are getting uploaded every day. There's lots of people who are going to have the same name or similar mm-hmm. sounding names. So, yeah. In one hand, I can kind of see that some of this is not so nefarious. That's right. But, That's right. But some, but some of it can be nefarious. And we see that. Um, there's a really great piece that we talked about um, uh, on one zero called "The Cheater's Guide to Spotify," and we'll put the link in the show notes because it's it's got a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And again, it doesn't mean that this was intentional, but this piece on Slate is called uh, "The Artist Imposters of Spotify." I track some down, and it's by Natish Pawa. And it is really interesting because uh, Natish went and was looking at uh, DJ Quick and uh, found that there was, you know, uh, a fake release on the Spotify page. Now, some of these things, you know, you and I talk about, uh, let's say, the accidentals. There was another accidentals years and years ago, an acapella group. And so years ago, when I started working with the accidentals, it took me a little while to clean some of that stuff up. Um, And it wasn't nefarious. It wasn't intentional. It just, as you said, you're looking at metadata. You're looking at just, you know, these computer systems are looking at these fields and it matches. So they put it there together. That's right. And if you have an artist that has a common name, a lot of times you will see some releases from another artist that shares that name. That doesn't mean someone's trying to game the system, but sometimes they do try to game the system by, you know, um, there was a really great piece about how people were putting up their albums, either with a popular name of a movie Um, or a playlist with a popular name of a movie, movie soundtrack. So, uh, again, we'll put this cheater's guide to Spotify in the show notes from 1-0 and show you some of the ways that people try to game the system. But in this particular uh, article, you know, Natish goes on to say, you know, if you're a West Coast rap fan, you may have noticed that a new DJ Quick album appeared on Spotify. It might have popped up in your release radar, Uh, the weekly personalized playlist of new music and artists that you already listened to. Or maybe you saw it on DJ Quick's verified Spotify profile. Either way, the moment you hit play, you would have realized this is fake as hell. (laughs) (laughs) They mentioned that, first of all, it's in Spanish. (laughs) I'm pretty sure DJ Quick. Red flag. Doesn't doesn't speak in Spanish. Um, yeah, and there's there's all kinds of sort of things. And of course, then it says the copyright at the bottom of the album's page attributes the record to DJ Quick instead of a record label. Yeah. And, you know, if you know what he sounds like, you can recognize that, in fact, this is not DJ Quick. Yeah. And so, you know, it's... It didn't last long, as 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 the article mentioned. Yes. It was removed from the real rappers page within a few within a few weeks, though. Yeah, within a few weeks. So it was up there for a long time. It and was. It's possible. 
Yeah. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff like this that happens and it's relatively easy to do. And yeah. even when you even when you even when you report it, it takes a while for it to come right. down. Because of that and like to your point, because of that sheer volume, sixty five thousand tracks uploaded a day. I mean, think about that or think about even SoundCloud or YouTube with even more volume. Yep. You know, that's why they have the content ID system at YouTube and that's it's it's really challenging. But the the line that jumped out at me was you're never more than a playlist transition away from a fake out that, that there's always someone trying to game the system. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really kind of the bottom line is that there's just, there's so, it's so easy to do. And, and what do we know from the internet is if it's easy to do, people will do it. And, uh, <laughs> they, they, there's some funny examples of here you know, they, they there was a rapper named Elo, or at sort of almost ELO, <laughs> and this so it, it ended up so in funny. yeah in in the Electric Light Orchestra ELO's you know universe, and then there was another artist whose real name was Diana Ross, <laughs> and that you know, but it wasn't the Diana Ross, and you know all of this stuff again, it's metadata, and so it's if you want to game it you can game it but even if you don't want to game it and it just happens to to have a similar name or something like that it's going to get mixed up yeah and your distributor can help you out uh, we run yeah. into these problems and have for years and whether you're going through a major uh, whether you're going through a major indie you know like in grooves or or the orchard as you mentioned um, or even a, a DIY kind of, you know, CD Baby tune chord distro kid, you have a relationship with your distributor. And when your profile has things in it, you know, let's use Spotify as an example. It could be Apple Music, could be any of them. But if you see music that's in your, you know, on your artist page, um, you can get that change. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. But the thing that worries me more is that if they're getting it wrong, are other people getting it wrong when it comes to the money? And that's the thing. And I have seen this happen with at least one artist that wasn't getting the money they were supposed to get. It was going to another artist of the same name. And that's where it gets a little bit challenging. And there are people out there, um, Keith Bernstein, um, who used to work at A&M as a company, Crunch Digital is another one too. I can't remember the name of it, but he'll go in and do forensic accounting for artists, labels, managers, and and some of those things are uncovered in that process too. Um, but I would encourage anyone who has an artist name, band name, that or even album name that's super common or is like something else to dig a little bit deeper in that. And then the other thing is, you know, you, you don't want to name your new album Hotel California, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. One of the, one of the things that was interesting is that you know, of course, the world of sampling is is um, challenging anyway, and and properly clearing samples. They mentioned an artist in here. Um, yes, his first name Sun Diesel was his name, and he he had a track that sampled a, a Bone Thugs and Harmony song, and but he didn't clear the sample. But when he uploaded the music to Spotify, he did put. Bone Thugs and Harmony as a featured artist in air quotes. I'm I'm doing air quotes, mm -hmm. um, and he said so that I wouldn't get copyright infringement. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, that, that's it's good, not how good, it good, works, good to know. Okay. That's not really how it works. But he kind of was figuring out. So he used a company called United Masters yeah, to TSP. upload his tracks. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And but he and he apparently they have an app. So he's loading stuff up from his literally from his phone to to the various services and so but he was messing around with it and he saw that he wouldn't let him upload it if if he didn't write featured <laughs> and so he, that was kind of a loophole that he figured out how to how to how to get it up and you know they they this our, our writer reached out to him and kind of you know called him on it and and he kind of faked i think or or feigned ignorance yeah but you know, it just goes to show you that there are kind of these loopholes in these automated systems to even kind of get stuff up. And so yes, whether he's, he's, he's corrected that or not remains to be seen. Well, but. the thing that most people don't understand is that there are financial implications to that metadata. So when you say featuring this, mm -hmm. there, there are financial um, payouts based on that. It's not the same as having someone say, 
um, that this artist is on my release. When you say featured, that's different. And so when you can't just put something up and say, you know, because I use a sample without clearing it, that this is, you know, featuring Michael Edchart. It doesn't work like that. And you can get into all sorts of trouble. And I'm sure, you know, this wasn't intended to deceive people. But if you're using anybody's samples, of course you have to get clearance for that. Of course you do. Yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of, you know, again, it, it's it's still the wild west a little bit and there's lots of little <clears throat> funny holes. And this guy who just kind of kept trying different things to see how it would get up. And he finally figured out a way that it could, he could upload these, these things. And of yeah. course, what you don't want to have happen is, is have them have any of the services uh, flag that and then just punt you completely. And, but lots of artists do that anyway too. They change their name and then they, you know, they kind of play the game again. Right. And so you and I covered a really great story one time. I still refer to it, um, where people were naming their uh, artist name, you know, or album after things uh, that would come up in search. So one of them yes. we found was White Noise Baby Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, oh, chill but- music is. Is very popular, you know, new age, what we used to call new age or instrumental, you know, now people call it chill. Um, That's very popular. And in the world of smart speakers prior to the pandemic, um, that word chill was a number one search term for some Mm -hmm. of these smart speakers. And now it's children's music for uh, pandemic reasons. But I imagine as we kind of go back into our new abnormal that that it'll go back to being chill. But a friend of mine has a label, kind of a chill label. And what he's finding is that there are a lot of artists that are filling up these chill playlists that when he goes to search them, they don't have any socials, they don't have any website, you know? And his his thought process is that um, either the DSP is gaming it to make more money or... Uh, there's somebody out there who sees an opportunity here and is, you know, maybe it's AI, which we'll talk about in the next story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of games being played. And again, I, I, I would say go check out the, again, we'll put the link in the show notes, but the one zero piece called uh, A Cheater's Guide to Spotify. Um, but the last thing I'll say about that is that this is not something that Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, they know that people are doing this. It's yeah. almost, But if you think about the sheer volume and you think about YouTube, gosh, that's going to be a challenge to police this stuff. It's going to be whack-a-mole, right? Right, right, right. You know, one of the things that also mentioned, though, at the end, at the end of this last article was, in general... Um, this artist explained, it's difficult for a smaller artist like himself to navigate Spotify's vast system. So he uses, in this case, United Masters mobile app to upload his songs. I don't get to talk to anybody. You just enter it into the system. That's right. You put, it in, you put in your title, your cover art, and your genre, and you add the audio file. And then you have to specify whether it's explicit or clean. Mm-hmm. And then they send it in. You have to schedule it a week in advance, and they go through the song, see if it's pirating music from some other songs. Um, but then they, it's uploads, and it says, you know, it's it, it really is. If you don't, there's no customer service line to 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 basically call and ask about this stuff. And so, because it is so easy, and that's a wonderful thing in some in most cases. Mm-hmm. But there's also you're kind of on your own, and it, you know. So it's the good news is you can get your music on all the all of the uh, worldwide on all the DSPs. Yeah, within a week, yeah. you know. But the bad news is you kind of are on your own and you got to navigate this stuff. And it is a little bit complex. And you've, so. you've used the orchard, right? Mm-hmm. I've used the orchard. I've used, you know, in grooves. Um, you've used some others. Um, it, it amazes me sometimes how time consuming that is. It, yes. There's because you have to, some of them you have to have publishing splits. Some yep. of them you, you have to have a lot more metadata than others. And that's the thing is it's inconsistent across all of these distributors, what fields you fill out, which ones yes. you don't, that sort of thing. So it, we'll be following this story, you know, as some people, there, there are two things that are going on here. Some people are just making honest mistakes or 
there are coincidences, you know, their name is the same as somebody else's. Then there's a darker side, right. Of the people who are trying to game the system for their own gain. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay, I got to say the next story I found completely depressing. This is on Hypebot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is an AI powered rapper. FN Mika, FN, F is in Nancy, uh, or N is in Nancy, uh, has 9 million followers on, and a billion views on TikTok. Yeah. Um, and for those and that don't it, know, AI, you know, artificial intelligence, it just yeah. means, you know, uh, computers doing the work for you. It's not necessarily a human being, right? Right. And it says, uh, it's this, this AI artist, rapper FN Mika, is the creation of Factory New, which describes itself as a first-of-its-kind next-generation music company specializing in virtual beings. It's actually voiced by a human, but everything else, lyrics, music, beats, persona, everything, were created using AI. And there's a, there's a, there's a video that you can watch for a mm -hmm. song called Speed Demon. Yeah. I, I'd listen to it. It was awful, but... <laughs> Um, One man's ceiling is another man's floor. There you go. Absolutely. But uh, where are you on this? Do you, do you, are you kind of appalled like I am or, or is this kind of just, yeah. this is where it's headed? Well, I look, I don't want to be the old guy that says, hey, kids, get off my lawn. But this stuff kind of pisses me off um, because there are real artists out there who yeah. are working hard at their craft and writing and recording. And listen, you know, my daughters, when they were growing up, were really into some of these kind of, uh, you know, the dead mouse of the world and David mm -hmm. Guetta and some of those. And a lot of that work is done on a laptop and not uh, an instrument. And right. it took me a long time to really understand that some of those were really crafted and written. And I grew to respect um, them as... I, I hate saying the word musician, but it, they do create music. You know, when I think mm -hmm. of a musician, I think of somebody playing an instrument, but maybe that's antiquated. But to your question, you know, when I see this AI-powered stuff, um, I don't like it. I don't like, and that's because I'm old school, and I, I like to be, I like to hear a real drummer who's not maybe perfectly in time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there, there's something about that pocket. There's something about that groove of a live performance that, you don't get with some of the computer generated things and can you do it? Sure. I've heard some really melodic AI songs mm -hmm. and, but the way I see it is use that maybe as something to help you write. But this, I don't know, this, this doesn't feel right to me. <laughs> it really doesn't, but it's worth checking out and knowing that it exists and um, yeah, we will be continue to talk about it, I'm sure. And, and, you know, this is like, kind of like you were saying, it's, this is all in, I mean, this is all AI with the exception of, of a, a human vocal, it sounds like, but, um, right. But, you know, c components of this and elements of this are going to be seeping into all forms of music production it already has. And yeah. so, you know, I, I, I wonder if we will, so, so you eventually did come around to dead mouse and to all of yeah. these other artists. Yeah. Um, and Maybe by the way, I'll there's an interesting, uh, the, the website masterclass dead mouse has a masterclass. That's really interesting. And it shows how he creates songs and he admittedly doesn't play anything. Um, he wishes he did, but he, you know, but it shows kind of his process and his the workflow and how he puts yeah. together stuff. But again, it takes a musical ear to do what he does. Yeah. And whereas this to me is, is, not yeah but, but did those numbers surprise you a little bit i mean nine i was floored million um i mean uh, uh nine million um views and one billion followers i mean uh, is that right nine million no, i think it's the other way around yeah, well, you know in the headline they have it backwards um but if to your point the very first line you know is nine million followers and a billion views which of course makes more sense but the, the funny line but it's was, still appalling. did you read the comments at the end? The first one um, from Schlick, he, he posted, the AI created song was hot garbage. Exactly. So, you know, we'll, we'll, to be continued, but what happens when the AI dominates the, the top 40? What happens when the number one song in the country is, is AI? I don't know. I don't, that world seems a little... 
um, plastic to me. Yeah. Depressing is what yeah. it is, Jay. I'm old. All it. right. All right. <laughs> Let's go into something even more interesting. Uh, how about what comes after streaming? This, uh, this was an interesting article. Yeah. And again... Uh, let me pull it up right here. Yeah, from Media, which does yeah, a lot exactly. of great research. And we, we talk about this a lot because people think that streaming's the end. That's the end. That's what we're going to mm -hmm. be doing from, from here to eternity. But we thought that with downloads, too, because yep. it was so much more convenient. You know, it you could pull whatever song you wanted uh, off, you know, an album, you know, that sort of thing. I don't think streaming is the end. I think it's going to be around for a while. Um, downloading was around the least amount of time of any configuration. It was just a heartbeat. If you look at the mm -hmm. charts of how long vinyl was around, cassettes were around, mm -hmm. you know, um, they came and went fairly quickly. And yeah, there's still, there's still people who do downloads, but not nearly, you know, what it used to be. No. So we're, th this article is really kind of focusing again on talking about future growth, and uh, it says, you know, there's an argument today that in today's post-format world, we should not even be thinking about the next thing. So is it better to think about what the new biz, but it is better to think about what new business models and user experiences can grow alongside streaming to diversify the music industry's income mix. Yeah. So this is uh, things that are kind of on the horizon, and, you know, it's it's the first one, I, I must say, kind of cracked me up in a, in a sense. The first one is games. Yeah. And I was, uh, as I probably mentioned before on our podcast, I was in the last foray of, of the music industry's um, jumping into games. I worked for one of the divisions of Warner Music back in the 90s, it was, when they wanted to jump into gaming. And, of course, it made sense. This was kind of pre-console uh, gaming. This was when, it, when gaming was, was on was on mm -hmm. CDs and it, it made sense. You know, they were selling into the same accounts. They had CD manufacturing facilities. Why aren't we in this, in this business? And it's, it, this is kind of the second big wave of them jumping into games and they jumped right back out again because they realized it was very expensive and perhaps it wasn't their forte or it wasn't their, their, a, a great fit. But now, you know, we're, we're talking about this again yeah. and, Here's Warner Music Group's stake in Roblox. Points to just how serious labels are taking the opportunity. Mm -hmm. This one got me interested when you had this number. With global games revenues hitting $120 billion in 2020. By the way, that's $100 billion more than the recorded music market. <laughs> and more than a third of those revenues being driven by cosmetic, yeah. i.e. non-gameplay spend, there is a wealth of opportunity. Yeah. But to succeed... Music companies will need to think about creative ways to enhance the gaming experience rather than simply seeing it as another licensing play. Yeah, and they're starting to embrace this. Like you and I talked about Lil Nas X. We talked about Marshmello doing the Fortnite thing. Mm -hmm. um, Roblox is a beast. Uh, yeah. Roblox is massive. And, you know, if you, uh, if you haven't heard of it, uh, Google it. If you're around kids, you certainly know about Roblox. But, you know, a lot of this comes from the fact that you know, streaming is maturing. You know, I was reading this piece by Tim Ingham, and he pointed out that subscribers are are growing, but revenue is not. And that, you know, the ARPU, average revenue per user, um, year over year has dropped 8.8%. So, you know, and that's the money, you know, that's paid out to the rights holders. So, you know, streaming subscriptions are growing. You know, it's partly because of, you know, merging markets and discounted subscription deals. But we're, we have to, as an industry, and, you know, if you're an artist, manager, you work at a label, you have to look at these things. So you touched on games. Let's talk about the second one, um, socials. So revenue from the likes of TikTok, Facebook finally became a meaningful, you know, uh, amount of money in 2020, accounting for around three quarters of the growth registered in ad supported. So it says we are still scratching the surface of what social can do for music. But building tools for users to create their own music and audio will be key. Facebook Sound Studio, um, you know, that could be one of them. Um, so we're seeing this across the board with socials not only monetizing music, but even like Clubhouse, um, the upgrades to the platform itself 
to make mm-hmm. the sound quality better. You know, there are platforms, you know, like Twitch, which is uh, growing leaps and bounds. Um, so I think that socials, because you go to where the party is and everybody's on socials, Yep. that that makes perfect sense to make those creator tools. Like you, you were talking about how people can look at their phone and upload their music. A lot of people are creating their music on their phones Absolutely. and their tablets and uploading them. And if you have that social integration, it, that can only help. And I think that we failed as an industry to do this. I know that, you know, some of the DSPs have tried a social aspect, but again, go to where the party is. I think there needs to be more of a partnership, especially with YouTube, but, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, Clubhouse, um, TikTok, all of these, there is music there and it's growing there, but we're not there yet. Right. The next one they mentioned, and this is something you and I talk about a lot, which is creator tools. And it says, as, a re- as regular readers know, media considers the current revolution in the creator tool space to be one of the most important shifts to the entire music business in recent years. You and I both grew up playing in bands yeah. uh, as young, young people when it would cost $200 an hour to go into a recording studio. And that's $200 an hour in $1980 or whatever it was. And yeah. so... All the tools were incredibly expensive. They are unbelievably awesome and almost free. And and there are free versions of many yeah. of these things. So it is stunning, basically, how all of these tools exist and are so uh, accessible to the average person. And all you really need, in some cases, like you said, is a, is a mobile phone and a tablet or a computer. And what you can create is just remarkable. Yeah. And so this, this, and it, you know, it, will it kind of lead to AI? Uh, ho- well, I'm hope sure not. it's going to be a component of it. I hope not. <laughs> but, you know, whether it's uh, Logic or GarageBand or, you know, yeah. any of the myriad of digital audio workstations, it's yeah. just a wonderful time to be a content creator because yeah. the tools are remarkable. They're remarkable. And the only thing I would add to what you said is that they're portable. You can take these things anywhere. I was watching that Billie Eilish documentary and it shows them, you know, like recording in a hotel room or on the bus or Mm -hmm. man, you couldn't do that back in the day. You had to go to their studio. You had to be buttoned up, rehearsed, ready to go. You, you didn't have the luxury of a band like queen who could experiment in the studio, you know, or Fleetwood Mac or one of those that had these big budgets where you could kind of write in the studio, which a lot of people do now. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely li- uh, right with creator tools. The next one, next generation sync. So yeah. for those that don't know, you know, with, with sync licensing, typically it's film and TV and, uh, you know, it can be commercials, but it's so much more than that, you know, with games and all sorts of other things. And, and what, what they point out in this media piece is although traditional music sync revenues fell in 2020, music production libraries, include, including royalty free, grew. They actually grew. We are on the cusp of a major new wave of opportunity with sync licensing, you know, with social content platform and creators representing a scale of demand that far out exceeds that of the traditional sync market. Um, the new gener generator generation, sorry, of companies that offer solutions that are, um, agile and fast to meet the scale of micro sync demand. I think that today, like for example, I I have a friend who does um, sync for film and TV, but little bits, little bites. So they'll call mm-hmm. him up and say, I need 17 seconds that sounds like surf music. He, right. he records it. He gets it over to them. And there are opportunities like that that we could never have done, you know, 10, 20 years ago. No, you, you, can, you can create that in your house in in a matter of an hour and then and off it goes and then it's it's posted and, and that and the transaction has consummated it's amazing that's pretty remarkable and they do do of course mention a lot of these production libraries and if you don't know you know those even in the label days you know the 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 sync licensing guys were over in the corner and you know if if you were you know we were always involved 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 in artist development and mm-hmm. new albums and all of this stuff but man that was always cranking in the background film and TV making a lot of money too right making a lot of but it wasn't hip and cool remember when neil young used to rail against it you know and having a sink in like a commercial was 
not a good thing. But then the, yeah. the tables have turned, and I think Sting really helped with that Jaguar commercial, and mm-hmm. I think Apple with their iTunes Apple, ads. They, were, yes. they broke Feist that way. Mm-hmm. They, they were mm-hmm. breaking artists. Then all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be there. And it's, it's hard to rise above that clutter that you and I talked about, that 65,000 tracks. But Sync is a great way to do that. If you can, if yeah. you can. My my recollection on Sync too was like, um, uh, was it Dawson's Creek? One of those kind of sort of young adult shows that was on in the '90s, maybe where where, and that that was it, it, ultimately that became sort of an, almost an artist development tool. Yeah, and if you could get that in there, or it was an artist development tool, and so now it's recognized as such. But yeah, yeah. But interesting, all this next generation str- uh, Sync stuff is is coming along, and it's wonderful. Yeah, great great revenue opportunities. Uh, live streaming, yes, you you are, are far more expert in this than I am. But uh, the pandemic, as it mentioned, virtually created the live stream marketplace, resulting in a tidal wave of new startups rushing to fill the void left by live. While the results have been a mixed bag, there have been enough high-quality successes to suggest that this is a sector with longevity that will outlive lockdown, something that you and I have talked about. Yeah. Will this continue? And absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you want to learn more about live streaming, you know, one of my artists, the accidentals basically tried almost every platform every bit of equipment microphones you know all of that and savannah beist from the accidentals has created this really great google doc if you google it you'll find it if not you know you can reach out to us and we'll get it to you but it's a wonderful document on all of the different ways that you can live stream and the pros and cons Mm -hmm. and even you know our, our friends over at the grammys posted it you know, um, Hypebot had posted it. It's it's super cool. So if you want to learn more about live streaming, um, Savannah Beist, or I think it goes under Sav, S-A-V, uh, Beist, B-U-I-S-T, um, take a look at that. Um, you can find it on the web. But as we talk about a lot, this isn't going to go away when the pandemic goes away. Now we've got another tool, and a lot of these Absolutely. artists were, you know, went into it kicking and screaming, but they're actually getting really good at it. Yeah, no, no. I I I, uh, I logged into the Todd Rundgren one uh, a couple months ago, and it was fantastic. Was you know, and I've got a good sound system on my nice. on my uh, at home, and it, I, it was it was not a concert experience, but it was it was close. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it was something that I would absolutely do again. Yeah, so, and you and I, I talked about Twitch it. because it's based on your yes. laptop and not your mobile, and so typically most of their shows are super high quality. And I watched one um, last night that was just, I mean, the sound quality of this thing was so good. So, yeah, live streaming. Uh, Another one talking about, of course, is fitness. Uh, Another of the pandemic's second order effects was a surge in consumer spending on home fitness equipment, Mm -hmm. including Peloton. Right now, there is some meaningful music licensing revenue building up around this space, but Beyonce's Peloton partnership shows that the opportunity goes way beyond simply piping music into workouts. Crucially, the Beyonce partnership creates an audience that is focusing their entire attention on the artist, which is rarely the case when people are listening to music on audio streaming services. So who would have known? I don't have a Peloton. I'd like to have a Peloton device. Yeah, I mean, they look really cool. The The other thing that they didn't mention in here that's really um, picking up steam are these smart mirrors. And oh, that's smart. where you, yeah. you know, you got like a full length mirror and it, you can do workouts with it and it will show you somebody on the other side, you know, and you're like in a workout class or whatever. Uh, you can do yoga with it. They're, they're super cool and they're really kind of blowing up. And Peloton is kind of like that. I mean, the screen on a Peloton is really, you've got kind of a coach there with you and in mm-hmm. a class mm-hmm. if you want, and you're, you have other people that you can work out with virtually. And yeah. that's what these smart mirrors are. You're just not riding a bike. But this is just the start of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The last one is is also very interesting because we have talked about this. And they mentioned, they call it fandom. It's the next frontier in music monetization. And we've talked about this in relating to Tencent. And they do cover it. They mention that here. Yeah. Western streaming services monetize consumption. Mm-hmm. 
Or as Tencent Music Entertainment, which is a Chinese company, monetizes fandom with two-thirds of its revenue coming from non-music Amazing. activity. Amazing. Uh, they say, we are beginning to see a flurry of activity in artist subscriptions, and meanwhile, pa- uh, Patreon goes from strength to strength. Check out, so in the article, there's a great link to the free media report for more on how to tap the fandom opportunities. So, yeah. so it's a worthwhile read. Very interesting. Yeah, it's a big, big deal um, with fandom. We talk about experiences you know there are companies like um, cameo.com and thrills.co.uk and only fans and and of course they mentioned patreon but it's more about access and recognition and that currency on socials when you get something that you created with one of your favorite artists fandom is something we talk about a lot because there's a lot of revenue there, but there's also a better connection to those thousand fans that we talk about sometimes. So totally. What Absolutely. a great piece from, uh, yep. from Midia. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, speaking, we were just kind of uh, touching on concerts a little bit. Good article in Rolling Stone that mm. we're going to cover next. Music festivals are back, but their COVID risks are all on you. <laughs> yeah. We should not be surprised about this Samantha, <laughs> at all. His song wrote this, you know, the the... The sub headline says, make sure you read the fine print on any concert ticket uh, this summer. Um, it's it's super interesting. And we knew this was coming. If you're going to go to a live show, mm-hmm. you, you know, these these folks are going to protect themselves. And there are lawyers in this piece that talk about how on all of these shows and festivals, there's going to be verbi- verbiage about uh, protecting them. So, you know, in 2017, a, st- a stage diver landed on a man's head at a punk festival in New Jersey. Sorry. That man who experienced significant spinal damage successfully sued the show's o- organizer for $2 million, right? So um, will we see an explosion of these liability lawsuits in the coming months as music, music festivals come roaring back around the world, bringing an increased risk of COVID-19 cases with them? The answer is largely not. No, there's going to be lots of fine print, mm-hmm. uh, and listen that 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 if you're in the entertainment industry, this should surprise no one. Uh, it is we wrote the book, no pun intended, on fine print. But uh, you're going to see start language. Uh, Bonnaroo uh, basically is saying that they've uh, they've taken enhanced health and safety measures for you, our artists, employees. Uh, but festival goers must still follow all posted instructions. And uh, by attending Bonnaroo Music and Arts Festival, you voluntarily assume all risks related to exposure yes, to COVID-19. That's what you're going to be seeing a lot of. There's yes. a, an attorney, I think you pronounce it, it's Audrey Benalid. Pardon me if I'm butchering your name. I'm good at that. Um, she says that you're going to be seeing a lot of specific language pop up everywhere. Right. It's it's all in the agreements we're doing just generally now. Language similar to Bonnaroo's can be found on the website for, you know, that San Francisco Festival uh, Outside Lands, um, which is in October. Um, at press time, Milwaukee competitor Summerfest and Southern California's Coachella did not have a clause specific to COVID-19 on their websites. But um, she believes it's coming. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of, you know, they, they mentioned... Um uh, there's something called for, a, a provision in a lot of contracts, which is called force majeure, yes. which really kind of covers sort of uh, natural disasters and things like that. But mm-hmm. that's really kind of coming in. And one of the things they're, they're really talking about, though, is, um, you know, do artists like in, in, in cases of problems or, or issues mm-hmm. that come up, do artists keep half of the fee or 75% of the fee? Do they get reimbursed for costs that come out of pocket? So there's, there's a whole bunch of fights that are kind of becoming now of what happens if another round of pandemic happens, mm-hmm. what happens if people at a particular show, whether it's uh, a concert audience or whether it's crew or artists themselves, what happens? Yeah. And so there's this, a lot of stuff that's crossed be, this bridge before. And no. you mentioned force majeure. Um, there are some lawyers who don't think that this qualifies for that. Right. Uh, force majeure, you know, unforeseeable circumstances that prevent someone for, from fulfilling a contract, right? So, you know, you're putting on a concert. There's a, an earthquake and everything's destroyed. You, you couldn't have foreseen that. But they're saying that you can foresee COVID-19. Yeah. We've sure. been living with this for a while. So it's not like this has all been nicely ironed out yet. 
Are you ready for to go back? Will you go back to a like a festival style concert? Or are you still going to hang back on that a little bit? Well, typically when I go to shows, I'm shooting. Um, yeah. So I I'm fortunate in that I'm separated from the masses in at least six feet typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would still wear a mask even though I'm vaccinated. Um, there are variants out there, mm-hmm. and. Um, the thing is, we just don't know. And um, I, I saw this article that Rachel Maddow um, wrote, and she was just saying that, you know, after all of this training to be careful and to avoid people and to wash your hands and I mean, all of these things, it's going to take time to calm down, relax, and not do those things. Mm-hmm. So if there was a festival today, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't shoot it. Um, I'm not there yet, but one of my um, acts, we were talking yesterday, and they've got um, a 40-day tour starting um, in July. Well, July's coming up, you know, in six weeks. That's coming up fast. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. If it was outdoors, yeah. I, I, I mean, I miss live music so much. Mm-hmm. If I'm shooting, yeah, um, I, I'd probably do that, but I'm not ready to stand in a crowded area yet. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I'm a little further along than you, but I'm I'm still with reservations. Yeah, yeah. It's it's liberating to be vaccinated. I gotta say, but um, but yeah, it's still in the back of my mind. Yeah, it's still in the back of my mind. Did you see what Ticketmaster said in this piece? That um, where is it? They said uh, Ticketmaster, the ticketing company owned by Live Nation, which has taken a wordy, seemingly ironclad approach to its own website, said, <laughs> um, "You assume all risks." hazards and dangers uh, arising from or relating in any way to the risk of contracting a communicable disease or illness, including without limitation exposure to COVID-19, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like... Or any other bacteria, virus, or other pathogen capable of causing a communicable disease or illness. (laughs) You don't think that was written by a lawyer, do you? Not at all. Not at all. So, so yeah, it's yeah, it's the new normal. Don't blame us if you go to a festival. I mean, yeah. read the fine print because or a concert. I imagine when you purchase the ticket, um, look for that language. I'll bet you by the time live music starts coming back, that almost all of those will have some kind of language about uh, the risk is all on you. You get something. Yeah, you, know, you can't come back and blame us. Nope. There you go. Well, lastly, Jay, uh, how about the, uh, I guess on on Wednesday, they announced the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year's nominees for the 2021 ceremony, which is going to be on October 30th. Yeah. Uh, Looks like the Foo Fighters are getting in. Uh, The Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Carole King, and my, one of my all-time favorite artists, Todd Rundgren. Yeah. uh, And Tina Turner. And uh, interesting class, uh, interesting group. Uh, have mm-hmm. you seen the Go Go's documentary, by the way? Yeah. Okay, wonderful yeah. documentary. If you haven't seen it, it's worth I watching. I think you were the one that told me about it. You, oh, did you I? Okay. The king uh, of documentaries. The king of music documentaries. Um, you know, they mentioned some of the. I mean, I was a, a casual fan of the Go Go's in the day. I mean, I certainly uh, in college when they when they hit. Um, but they had you know quite a few firsts that I had not really thought about in terms of being on the charts and things mm-hmm. like that. And so, it's it's nice to see women well represented in this particular uh, announcement. Yeah, there's not a lot of all women, all female bands more now than than ever. But certainly not when the Go Go's you know no, were around. Not. You know you could probably count them on one hand. The problem I have with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a lot of it isn't rock and roll. And I love music, so why not make it the Music Hall of Fame mm-hmm. and then have a different wing for genres? You know, like yeah. here's the rock side, here's the country, here's the EDM, here's yeah. there's it's, music is music, and it's great. And I hate that people put it in a box. We all do it, but if you're gonna put it in a box, you know, there was a lot of blowback, you know, on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and has been, you know, <clears throat> um, just over the last few years. Um, and, and even so this year, there was an article in Blabbermouth where Kiss's bass player, uh, Gene Simmons, says it's quote-unquote disgusting that Iron Maiden has yet to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Even though they're, they're eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame 25 years after the release of their first album or single, iconic hard rock and metal groups like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Motorhead, you know, they're not there. Guns N' Roses is there, but... 
See, that's, that's a problem I have with it is one, you know, is it really rock and roll? Um, and then number two, there are, there are bands that year after year are turned down that are eligible. And then there's some, even this year, first year eligibility, they get in. And I guess that's not unlike sports hall of fames, but those are, there's a baseball one. There's a football one. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're not competing with, if you're Iron Maiden, you're not competing with the Go-Go's. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of my whining. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, you know, it's 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 there's there's a lot there's always been a lot of controversy about the in quotation marks in air quotes the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and there will continue to be because you know it's 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 weighted the selection committee is weighted by basically kind of rock and roll writers and they historically are not big fans of metal and of some of these kind of genres that are very popular, but they're not really popular with the critics mm-hmm. and so that that's always going to be a problem of. You know, it's you know, just because you sold a million records doesn't mean you're going to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or 10 yeah. million records. Or yeah, you know, and nor should you know, it's it so, be. I don't want just the no, best sellers in there because there's some yeah. people that don't sell a ton of records, but they're very influential, and yeah. they should be in there. So I think there's, we've got to strike a happy balance. Yeah, I just love the show. You know, when when it when it's on <laughs> HBO, I enjoy watching and seeing too. people play live. Sometimes too. there's train wrecks. Sometimes there's just beauty and elegance. Sometimes it's original. All, members come back. I remember when Cheap yeah. Trick was inducted, they played nice and Bunny Carlos played with them and that just uh, warmed my heart. You know, um, Kiss to avoid any of that madness. They just had the four original members come and accept the award and give a speech but not play live yeah, because yeah. they've been have so many members. But to your point, there's a lot of drama, you know, surrounding this and a lot of politics. Um, but I, I would love to see it evolve a little bit more into, you know, just a, a music hall of fame. Have you been? Have you been to the? No, to I, the... I would love to. Oh yes, it's worth going. Oh, have you it's gone? Absolutely worth going. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever been to um, the Experience Music Project underneath the Space Needle in Seattle? I have not been to that. I, I know hear of it, that but that's I similar in many ways, and yeah. and they have so much material for it that they're constantly rotating things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My brother actually did voiceovers uh, in some of the kiosks when it was first set up oh, uh, nice. for Seattle's rock, you know, like for Hendrix and Hart and all these great, yeah. you know, things. But um, if you, I don't know if it's open now during COVID, but I highly recommend people, if you're in Seattle, go see the Experience oh, Music yeah. Project. Yeah. It's right underneath the Space Needle. And where's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is Cleveland. Cleveland. Cleveland, Cleveland Rocks. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Cleveland Rocks. It's worth going to. And then so. you've got uh, the Rock, I'm sorry, the Football Hall of Fame in Canton. That's right. So maybe That's I can right. kill so two can birds. Do a twofer. Okay. That's exactly right. right. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jay, it's time to wrap up this latest episode, number 40. So, uh, wow. and we're, we're recording on a Saturday, which is still kind of weird. It seems, again, I'm out of sorts. Yeah, I'll be but, in the studio uh, all day tomorrow. So we're doing this on a Saturday instead of a Sunday. So it does seem a little bit odd. But uh, thanks again to uh, Little Hurricane for providing that yeah. intro. Uh, great band. Cool group. Cool group. And big thanks to Band Zoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town, our sponsors. We sure appreciate that. So on behalf of Jay Gilbert and myself, we certainly appreciate you listening. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter if you have not. That's at yourmorningcoffee.coffee. Your your I can't even get it. I write it every week, and yet I can't say it clearly. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with episode number 41 on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.